Thanks again for listening to Thinking Biblically About Things That Matter. My name is Steve Ron. I'm the lead pastor at First Baptist Church in Warsaw, and we are continuing on in our series on shame. Um, as we've said over the last few weeks, over the last few lessons, shame is something that's incredibly common. We're using Ed Welch's um, really good definition of shame. He says that shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. So we've looked at appropriate shame, which is the shame we should feel because of our sinfulness. We've also looked at um, inappropriate or misplaced shame, shame that we don't deserve to feel, shame because of someone else's sin against us, or shame because of a faulty standard that we don't measure up to. And then last week, we, we, we started looking at how God moves toward us, God's plan um, to take away our shame. And then today, what we're going to do is we're going to behold Jesus Christ. We're going to see what the Old Testament has already strongly hinted at. God not only wanted to take away our guilt before him, our, like, our, our objective, forensic, legal we deserve hell for our sin, guilt, but he's also in, intending to take away our shame. Christ came to carry away our guilt, and he came to carry away our shame as well. Our shame is not some silly little thing that Jesus thinks we should just figure out and grow up and move on from. Our shame is something that he takes seriously, and it's something he has come to take away. Jesus knows what it's like to have, to have, or to, to be shamed, to be inappropriately shamed, to have people try to shame you. And he, he knows the temptations that come from battling inappropriate shame. Jesus knows. Jesus had a a sketchy backstory, right? His, his mother became pregnant um, before she was married. Um, he, had to, he had to run away to Egypt. He, he grew up in um, Nazareth in Galilee. Um, he, he probably had a Galilean accent. Um, there were cliches like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Is there's, he, so he, he knew what it was like to grow up poor, to grow up sort of on the wrong side of the tracks, to have, a, to have an interesting backstory, to have people uh, do a double take. Um, and then he, he knew what it was like to be betrayed by your good friends, to be left all alone, to be spit on, to be mocked, to be hung naked, to die. Jesus knew shame. He knew, he knew inappropriate shame. He knew 
And what I mean by that is, is he knew what it was like to be shamed. He knew. So Jesus can empathize with us, but he can do far more than that as well. He can take our shame away. How does he do that? Through the great exchange. The great exchange. It's crazy how much in the New Testament, how much Jesus touches lepers. We mentioned it last week. Jesus touched everyone. And he didn't need to touch, he didn't need to touch anybody. He could have cleansed and healed and forgiven lepers without touching them. He, he upholds the universe with the word of his power. He doesn't need to touch anything to get anything done. And he's touching everybody all the time. A big part of the reason why he's doing that is so that when we open up the word of God, we will see that Jesus has come for, come, he has come for those who are living in shame. He is not put off. He is not afraid of touching those who are living in shame. And in the first century, um, physical disabilities, physical illnesses, chronic diseases, especially leprosy, but also things like being blind would have brought such great stigma on someone. In John 9, they were passing by a, a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his, or his parents, that he was born blind? They just automatically assumed, since the man was born blind, they automatically assumed that either he was a dreadful sinner or his parents were dreadful sinners. This was the way the first century world operated. So Jesus came for those who were assumed to be more sinful than, than other people because of their physical condition. Jesus also came for those who had earned their sinful reputation through their public disgraceful actions. Over and over, Jesus was verbally attacked because he went out of his way to eat with sinners, tax collectors, and adulterers, and prostitutes. We see this in the way he cares for the Samaritan woman. He shares a cup of water with her. He asks her to help him. He, he talks to her. Um, he associates with her, and he knows her sin. Everyone knows her sin. She's being shamed even by her own people for her sin. So he... He eats with sinners, with people who have earned their reputation. They've earned their shameful reputation. And he eats with, with lepers and with the blind. And he touches them. He proves over and over and over that he's not interested in keeping a safe, sterile distance. He intends for us to open the Bible and see that he's not unnerved by us. He knows that we are ashamed because of what we have done. We, we experience deep, appropriate shame. And he knows we are ashamed because of what others have done to us. Or because of faulty standards around us that we don't measure up to. He knows we are ashamed for appropriate and inappropriate reasons, and he's not ashamed to be associated with us. He, ten he intends for us to follow the example of the bleeding woman and the desperate leper. He wants us to lift our heads off of ourselves and lift our heads toward him. 
and to see that he has no problem touching the lepers because when he touches the leper, all of the uncleanness and the shame from the leper transfers to Jesus and he absorbs it and all of Jesus' cleanness and his holiness transfers to the leper. This is the point. This is the point of each of these little transactions we see in, in the Gospels where Jesus touches someone and they get the healing and the cleanness. And he absorbs their uncleanness. All of those little transactions in the New Testament are pointing to the big transaction. They're pointing to the cross. They're pointing to the great exchange. They're pointing to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, on the cross, Jesus made the trade that only he could make. On the cross, God the Father treated Jesus as if he were sin itself, so we can be treated as if we are righteousness itself. If you are in Christ, if you have been reconciled to God, if by God's grace you have believed the gospel, then this is the true, objective, legal reality. You no longer have to kid yourself. You no longer have to blame anyone else. You can openly say that, yes, you are unclean because of your own sin. I can openly say that, yes, I am unclean because of my own sin. Do do you and I suffer shame because other people have sinned against us? Yes, we suffer all kinds of inappropriate shame. But that's not why we stood guilty before God. It was our own sin. It was our own appropriate shame. And so please listen carefully. On the cross, Jesus took care of the big, objective, appropriate shame that matters most of all. This is the big gap in the story of the prodigal son, right? The the story of the prodigal son is just this this wonderful this wonderful story where this and, and there's this moment where this son who has squandered everything and he is just living in muck and mire and nakedness and shame and poverty and wretchedness and ruin and he comes to his senses and he says even my father's servants are treated better than this I'll go to my father and I'll and I'll say I don't deserve to be a son please just treat me as a servant this is the these are the words of just shame appropriate shame remorse remorse over one's own sinfulness, but the father runs to him, rejoices over him, puts a robe on him, gives him the ring, throws a party for him. There's a, there's a, there's a missing piece of this story. The gospel is unfolding in the book of Luke. And so when Jesus tells this story in the book of Luke, he doesn't say all of the stuff. But as we read the book of Luke, we realize the, the thing that was missing is, this, is the cross. How is the Father able and willing? How is it possible that the Father runs to this wretched, shameful Son and drapes Him with His robe, gives Him His ring, and then throws this public party rejoicing over His Son, having everyone come while the Father just stands by Himself and says, This is my Son. This is my Son, come celebrate with me. He is back. If we are in Christ, this is the Father's disposition toward us. And this is all because of the cross. The cross is what makes this possible. The cross is where Jesus takes all of our sin, all of our guilt, and all of our shame upon himself. And he gives us 
all of His righteousness. The objective reality of the cross is the only way to deal with the objective reality of our appropriate shame. We are so bad that someone deserved to die. And Christ died for us. It was our sin that held him there. It's our fault that Jesus died. And so we must deal with the objective reality of our appropriate shame. And to do so, we look to the cross and we just say, Thank you, Jesus, for taking my guilt. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for being treated as if you were my sin itself. And and in exchange, giving me your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for cleansing me. Because if if we don't, on a regular basis, return to the cross, remember the cross, rejoice in the cross, keep the cross huge in our hearts and minds, if we don't do that, if we, we don't do that, then listen carefully. We'll, we'll never successfully deal with our subjective shame, with the shame that we feel inside of us. If we don't, on a, on a regular basis, remember that our objective shame, the shame that matters, the shame that is before God, the, the shame that matters most over the, over the sin that we have committed before God, that objective shame is gone. God does not see us as shameful anymore. He does not see us as naked and humiliated and exposed and, and, and worthless anymore. He sees us as clothed with the, the righteousness of His Son. He rejoices over us. And so that is just the objective truth. Now what happens inside of us is, is, is subjective shame. Our, our inside emotions go up and down. We struggle with subjective shame still. But the the, the truth is, we'll never be able to deal with subjective shame, shame that's appropriate or inappropriate. We'll never be able to deal with that successfully until we, until we, on a regular basis, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. We must keep the cross big in our minds. And here's why we must. Because if we don't, if we don't, we will have a really hard time remembering why God loves us. Because, because what we'll do, because if the, if the cross isn't there, then there will be a vacuum in our hearts and our minds. If, if the cross isn't the ongoing, beautiful reason why God loves us, if this just, it's 100% grace, And if the 100% grace of the cross isn't big in our minds in an ongoing way, then there will be a vacuum in our minds and we will wonder why God loves us. And so when we hear that God rejoices over us, we will have faulty reasons for that in our our mind and we we won't be comforted by it because we'll know we don't deserve it. We'll know we don't deserve it. 
We'll try to think of, 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 of smaller, weaker reasons why the Father would rejoice over us. And if we do that, we will continue to, to, we will continue to experience shame because we're never going to feel like we were worth it. When, God, when, when, when we hear that God the Father rejoices over someone, we'll say, well, yeah, he rejoices over them. Everybody rejoices over them. They're great. They're awesome. They're, they're, they're great parents. They're, they're, they're great spouses. They're great church members. Everybody loves them, of course. They're, they're a success story. Of course God rejoices over them. But if we forget the cross, when we hear God rejoices over us, actually that's just going to add shame to us. Because we're going we're gonna to think, I don't deserve that. I don't measure up to that. God can't possibly rejoice over me. There's something wrong with me. So we have to keep the cross. We have to keep it central in our thinking. We have to remember, I don't have to make myself lovable. I don't have to make myself beautiful. I don't have to make myself honorable. I never had to, and I don't have to going forward. Jesus has done it. Jesus has made me lovable. Since I am in Christ, I am beautiful and honorable and righteous. The Father rejoices over me because of the cross. Jesus has completely cleansed me on the cross. And this is true whether I feel it or not. It's true whether I feel it or not. And I just want to say one more time. If the cross fades away in our thinking, we will replace it with, I have to measure up. If God is going to rejoice over me, I have to measure up in some way. And that will just heap shame on us because we will know we do not. We do not measure up. Let's keep the great exchange. Let's keep the cross central in our thinking. And the the beautiful thing is, we can, because, because the gospel becomes not only an ob- objective reality, an actual historical truth for us, but it also becomes a subjective reality, which means not only is it true, but it's also believable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also something we can, we can find true comfort in. We can truly rejoice in. We can, we can truly fight against shame with. Because 2 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're new. We're made new. So not only are we objectively, legally forgiven, not only has Jesus taken away our objective shame, but he's also making us new on the inside through his spirit. So the spirit helps us to make our objective reality a subjective reality. The, 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 the spirit gives us the truth and then helps us to believe the truth. Ephesians 3 says this about the gospel, that this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness and confidence, those are not the, those are not the words of shame. A person who, has, who, a person who is experiencing shame, a person who is handcuffed by shame, a person who is tied up in shame, they don't think of themselves as having boldness or confidence. So this is the beauty of the gospel. Not only only are we free, but we feel free as well. The Spirit helps us to believe that the Father rejoices over us 
because of the cross, because of Christ, the Spirit helps us to believe. This is why Galatians says in Galatians 4, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have this boldness. We have this intimacy with God. We have this, we have this confidence in God. We have access to God. We don't stand back in the corner and shuffle our feet and, and, and start to raise our hand, but then think better, think, no, God doesn't really want to hear from me. God doesn't truly rejoice over me. Of course he rejoices over that person because everybody rejoices over that person, but he doesn't rejoice over me. No, we, we, we can put those thoughts away because we are new. And the Spirit helps us. Now, is any of this automatic? No. It's not. It is a lifelong journey. It is two steps forward, one step back. It is, it is work. It is us working out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us. It is, it is work, but it is possible. So next week we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what it looks like to apply the gospel to our appropriate shame and to our inappropriate shame. The cross of Jesus is the answer to both. How do we apply the cross of Jesus Christ to our inappropriate shame and to our appropriate shame? Until then, thanks for listening.